This morning on Independence Day, I thought I'd, rather than launching a new series, we finished one last week as Todd brought home the, the final leg of the series that we were doing on Romans 14 and 15, that we'd, we'd talk a little bit about this idea of citizenship in, in, a, in a different way where Paul talks about a, a different kind of citizenship, a citizenship in heaven. So our topic this morning is permanent citizenship. And the scripture that I'd like to read is two verses, Philippians 3, 20 and 21, and I'm primarily concerned with verse 20. Paul writes, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Let's pray. God, our Father, on this Independence Day, we thank you for the greatest independence of all, that you can free people like us from the sins and failures and mistakes that weighed us down, and that you can make us new on the inside. No matter where we've come from, no matter what our background, no matter what we look like, no matter what our skills, you treat us all as your children who are equal in your sight. And we thank you that when we come to you by faith, that the grace of Jesus Christ transforms our in our complete outlook on life and puts us on a new trajectory where one day we will be transformed and we'll be gathered in the kingdom of heaven and when we see Jesus, we will be like Jesus. Lead us toward that end and use today in that process. In his name we pray, amen. Naomi Osaka is one of the world's best tennis players. Perhaps you know her name, perhaps you don't, but she's the reigning U.S. Open and Australian Open champion. She was born in the United States, but her family moved to Japan when she was three years old. That allowed her a, new, a unique privilege where she has dual citizenship or had dual citizenship in both Japan and the U.S. However, a Japanese law required her to make a decision about her citizenship by the time that she was 22. So in 2019... She renounced her U.S. citizenship and declared her intention to represent Japan in the 2021 Olympics, even though she resides and trains in Boca Raton, Florida. Does that sound complicated? I, I think it is. For a person like Naomi Osaka, dual citizenship provided many privileges, and, and yet, as I said, it became complicated. Today, as we celebrate July 4th as Independence Day here in the United States, I would like to talk about something that the Bible calls citizenship in heaven that is given to every person who is alive to God the Creator through faith in Jesus Christ. Taking nothing away from our celebration of our American freedoms on this day of celebration, let us also appreciate how much more we look forward to our permanent citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. So that's our topic this morning, permanent citizenship. So welcome back to North River today, and happy Independence Day. Whether you are here on site with us or you are watching online, we are glad that you're here and that you're a part of this. Here in person, we have the opportunity to experience worshiping together, prayers to God, and the personal encouragement that takes place before, during, and after services like this one. Taking part online allows many more to add to the richness of this experience, knowing that North River Church is always larger and deeper than those who are able to gather on any one given day. 
Here at North River, we aim to find and create ways for you to participate in the ministry of North River and to share in our vision of becoming people who are forever changed by God's love and daily changing the South Shore and beyond for Jesus. That's our vision as a church. I'd like to talk about exploring this concept of citizenship in heaven. The first question that I'd like to ask is, how did citizenship matter back in the day when Paul was writing these words in Philippians chapter 3? So there are two verses that Paul wrote in his letter to the Philippian church that bring up this matter of citizenship. The first is Philippians 3.20 that starts off this way, but our citizenship is in heaven. And then the second one comes just two chapters before in Philippians 1.27 where Paul says, whatever happens as citizens of heaven, live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Paul wrote these words from the setting of his two years of house arrest in Rome while he waited for his appeal that he had made to Caesar. If you think back, Paul had been arrested in Jerusalem for disturbing the peace, and he appealed his decision when he realized that the local religious leaders wanted to take him out, and as a Roman citizen, he could call upon that right, which meant that the political leaders were glad to get rid of him. They put him on a ship and sent him to Rome. And there in Rome, he waited for a long time. Paul himself was from Tarsus, and yet he was born as a citizen of the Roman Empire. You might be wondering, how does that work? And we'll explain that in a minute. But his citizenship gave him status and rights throughout the Roman Empire wherever it existed. This kind of citizenship was highly coveted and hard to attain for many, many others who lived in the most dominant empire in the world at that time. Paul was writing to Christians in Philippi, a city that was a Roman colony. Now think of this. Philippi was in Greece. The city was founded by King Philip II in 356 B.C., and he built the city largely in order to take charge of the gold mines that surrounded the city. Philip's son might be a little bit more known to you. His name was Alexander the Great, who conquered much of that part of the world. Bible commentator Dave Hagelberg notes that, quote, it may not be too much to say that the gold of the Philippian mines bankrolled the Hellenization of the, no, of the known world. In other words, the, the Greek culture began to spread out through the influence of Alexander the Great bankrolled by the gold that was taken from those Philippian mines. Philippi was also the site of an important victory by Octavian and Mark Antony in 42 A.D., Octavian and Antony went after the men who assassinated Julius Caesar. They were Brutus and Cassius. And as a result of this victory, Philippi got ushered into this new status as a Roman colony. That status as a Roman colony meant that Roman laws applied in that city and in that region around there, and that Philippi's people were automatically granted Roman citizenship. They were exempted from the many forms of taxation that were applied to other conquered lands and regions in Greece that, and other places that the Romans had taken over. And this was true even though Philippi was some 4,600 miles away from Rome. Paul's city, Tarsus, had been conquered in a similar way years before, and so Paul was a beneficiary of this same kind of policy. Now, all of this to say that the residents of Philippi understood what citizenship meant at that time and that their citizenship with Rome was something to be treasured. If citizenship, citizenship in that day mattered greatly, if you were a citizen, then you were in while others were not. If you were a citizen, then you had rights to fair treatment where many, many others did not. 
If you were a citizen, then you were protected by the Roman armies and others feared them. If you were a citizen, then you belonged. Now, let's translate that thought to our day here. We're celebrating here on Independence Day. And yet we have this uh, interesting relationship, sometimes confusing relationship, as to how we celebrate that as Christians. And we have differing opinions. So one pastor, Matt Chandler, wrote, the kingdom of God wasn't born on the 4th of July. And he would advocate for separating some of the triumphal nationalistic tendencies that can take place in a church on a Sunday like this one. He'd say, that's great to celebrate those songs, but sing them after the service is over. And then you have another opinion from talk show host Craig Ferguson. Ferguson was a, a Scottish citizen who uh, emigrated to the U.S. and became a citizen a few years ago. And he wrote this thought about our country. We're not just a nation. We're not just an ethnicity. We are a dream of justice that people have had for a thousand years. I dare say even longer than that. Now that we've talked about citizenship in the first century and a little bit in our day, let's ask the next question. Why connect citizenship with heaven? That's what Paul does in Philippians 3.20. That's the opening part of that verse simply says, but our citizenship is in heaven. It might be interesting for you to know that the concept of heaven is used three different ways in the Bible. Sometimes they're referred to as the first heaven, the second heaven, and the third heaven by theologians and historians. Sometimes the heavens refer to the air and the atmosphere where we see birds fly every day. And that would be the first heaven. At other times, the, the heavens are described as the sun, the stars, and the planet that we can see at night. For instance, in Psalm 19, the opening of that psalm says, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. In that case, it's talking about the sun, the moon, and the stars, and the planets that we can see off in the distance as they reflect light back to us. But the third heaven, the third way that heaven is talked about, is the realm where God the Creator resides. We don't know where that is, and we don't see that. Jesus had a whole lot to say about that heaven in this regard. Think of it. He began the Lord's Prayer with this statement, Our Father who art in heaven. Yeah, and he's not talking about where the birds fly around. He's talking about someplace way up there. In the Sermon on the Mount, he told us to store up treasures in heaven. After Peter's confession, Jesus gave Peter and the disciples the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, he wasn't talking about this world with that. He said that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven and Jesus operated and then gave his disciples all authority in heaven and on earth. We're just scratching the surface of what Jesus had to say about heaven. But Jesus repeatedly introduced parables this way, the kingdom of heaven is like. And in this respect, he wanted us to know that heaven is not just a place, it is a realm. It is a concept. It is, a, it is where God rules. And it, it it is, exists wherever there are hearts in which God reigns. He announced that the kingdom of heaven, of heaven had come with his presence. This kingdom of heaven extends wherever people who submit to Jesus the King live under his reign and call on his name. So the kingdom of heaven is both the dwelling place of God and the people of God who submit to his leadership here and now on this earth. That means that the kingdom of heaven is both present and future, it is both now and eternal. Heaven is a home where Jesus prepares rooms for his people. 
and it is here in our midst, yet it is so much grander than we can see. Heaven is the seat of authority where Jesus reigns at the right hand of God the Father. In a sense, citizenship means that we belong. Citizenship in heaven lets us know that we belong forevermore wherever Jesus reigns. Here's another question, the third question I want to ask. What can we learn about citizenship in heaven? See, you and I know a lot about citizenship here in this country or in places on this earth, but we don't know necessarily an awful lot about citizenship in heaven. And that's what Paul wanted us to think about. So let me go back to verses 20 and 21 of Philippians 3. He says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. The first thing we learn is that the Savior we await is there. Paul tells us this to remind us that Jesus is there now. He has not simply disappeared from sight. He has not forgotten you. He's not forgotten me. He's not forgotten any of us. If you die before he returns, he will be there with you, and you will be there with him. We are awaiting this Savior because he promised that he would return. He promised that he would return at the right time and set all things right in this world. When he returns, he will gather his people and he will reward them. The final picture of Revelation shows Jesus setting up his eternal kingdom on earth. And at that time, there will be no more tears, no more suffering, no more death. I don't know about you, but that looks like a very, very promising reality. The second thing we learn is his name. Paul tells us here the specific title and name of Jesus. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. When we say it that way, it has authority. And Paul makes this very clear. This is the Savior that we await. There is no one else who conquers death, and there is no one else who offers eternal life. So Paul gives us this full title, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the definitive Lord over all. He is not our buddy, and he's not one that we control. We don't make room for him in our plans. He's the one who makes room for us in his plans and in his home. We either receive him as Lord of all, or we really don't know him when you see that title listed that way, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is Jesus he is the Jesus we meet in the Gospels. He is the God who has come in the flesh. He is the same Jesus who did miracles, who loved all kinds of people. He is the same Jesus who died and who rose again that we might be free, truly free. In fact, Jesus, if you think of it that way, is the true author of the greatest Independence Day of all time. And he is the Christ, that title tells us. Christ is not a curse word. The title Christ comes from the Greek word Christos, both Christ and Messiah or Mashiach in Hebrew literally mean the chosen one of God. Same word, two different languages. He was chosen from the beginning to enter human life where God becomes joined to humankind forevermore to reveal the heart of God and to redeem broken people and broken lives in a broken world that God will one day restore. When we celebrate Independence Day today, the skies will light up with fireworks. Well, we hope so after all this rain, but I'm not sure. <laughs> they are wonderful, 
They are celebratory, but they are temporary. The lights dim, the smoke fades, and even the smell of gunpowder dissipates by the time the evening is over. When Jesus returns, everyone on the face of the earth will know. He will return with the clouds. All who array themselves against the kingdom of God will be defeated. The evil one, the great tempter, will be banished from the earth forever. The earth itself will be renewed in its original splendor. The city of God, called the New Jerusalem, will come down from heaven, and people from every nation and every tongue will bow down before him and proclaim his name. No short-term national celebration, no matter how wonderful, will compare with the joy of that day. Here's the third thing we learn. The power of God will transform our bodies to be like his. This power was first evident in the miracles that Jesus performed in his ministry years. Think of it. He made the blind see, the deaf to hear, the lame to walk. He healed the sick, turned water to wine, and fed thousands from a lunchbox. Whatever progress research makes now, he will obliterate every cancer when that time comes. This is the same power that raised Jesus from the tomb. The patience and long-suffering nature of God allowed him to go to the cross. The almighty power of God refused, though, to leave him dead in that tomb and raised him up on that Sunday morning. And here Paul tells us that that same power will transform our bodies to be like that of Jesus. No more suffering through the ailments of this life. Bodies fit for eternity, not these bodies that let us down in life's later stages. Bodies that tell the story of the glory of God, just as with Jesus. One more thing I noticed this year at Easter time. When the disciples encountered the risen Jesus, his body was renewed and transformed, but one thing remained. You know what that was? The scars. The scars remained on Jesus' wrists and on his feet, and on his side, ever telling the story of what had happened. The scars, though, had become joyful marks of the story of redemption. I wonder if there were scars that we will bear, too, that are part of our life of, of living out our faith, that also become marks of beauty in the way the story is told one day. It just raises that question in our minds. And all of this is why we put our faith in Jesus. We have a Savior in heaven who is returning. We know his name. He's not unknown to us. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. He has authority over life and death. The transforming power of God that raised him will transform us too. And this is why you need to put your faith in Jesus too if you have not done so wherever. Wherever you are, whether you're in this room here with me or whether you're watching us online this morning, I want to ask this question, have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? And if you haven't, is there any reason to wait any longer? Will you do that now? Make this your spiritual independence day that you will celebrate on July 4th for the rest of your life. You can pray a simple prayer like this that turns over leadership of your life to Jesus. If you want to, you can pray along with me, either silently or out loud, something like this. Lord Jesus, free me from my sins and rebellions and mistakes. Free me to love God and to love people 
and to serve you well. I put my faith in you as the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And I have news for you. If you do that, if you say words like that and you mean them deep inside, he will begin that transforming process inside of you right now, and one day that will be complete. I, I think that's pretty cool. I don't know about you, but I would like to get rid of this body, and I'd like to have the transformed body. I'm kind of, I'm kind of interested to see what that will look like. I'm kind of interested to see, as good as you look today, what the transformed body will look like. And you're going to get a new one. It will be complete. The transformation will be complete. Your face won't look like Jesus. It will look like you. But you know what? There's so many elements about who we are, the way our hearts work, the way our character is developed, that will reflect Jesus, that we will see Jesus in each other even more than today. Okay, here's the main idea that I'm trying to get across this morning. Citizens of heaven live now as adopted family on assignment for a king who is coming back soon. This is our mission. Citizens of heaven are people who live now as adopted family members on assignment for a king who is coming back. Where does that come from? The other verse that we looked at. And so we raised this question, how should we live and Paul says in, Romans, in uh, Philippians 1.27, whatever happens as citizens of heaven, live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. What does that mean? Well, I'd like to expand, expand that a little bit. Living as citizens of heaven now does not mean pursuing perfectionism. Perfectionism within Christian life leads to false pride. Perfectionism leads to lifting yourselves about others. Look at me, I've come to this level and you haven't. Perfectionism in this life always leads to self-harm and denial in life. Second thought. Living as citizens of heaven means living as an adopted child of the king. When you think through the whole message of God's redemptive history, this is what he's doing. When we place our faith in Jesus, God views us from that point on through our relationship with Jesus. He pronounces us to be justified by faith and declared righteous by his pronouncement. And he adopts us into his family where Jesus is the firstborn eldest brother. As an adopted child, you have a place in the family. As an adopted child, you can bring your requests, your needs, and your prayers directly to the Father because you are now part of the family where prior to exercising that faith, you were not. As an adopted child, you can live with the kind of hope that transcends every difficulty, saying, this isn't so bad, I'm a child of the king. He's going to help me through this. As an adopted child, you can face every tough assignment knowing that his resurrection power will raise us at the end of days thinking through this, that the toughest assignment that any child of God ever got was given to Jesus, the firstborn in the family. And if the power of God could lift him from that tomb and restore life to him, what challenge becomes too tough for us to take on? That's the kind of people that we become when we are adopted members of this family of God. So living as citizens of heaven does not mean pursuing perfectionism and claiming that we're better than anybody else. Living as citizens of heaven does mean living as an adopted child of the king. And living as citizens of heaven means acting as ambassadors of Christ. You know what an ambassador does? An ambassador represents our home country to people of another land. 
An ambassador of the United States represents our country as the greatest realm of freedom on the face of the earth, as incomplete and as imperfect as that freedom may be. Christians have been given the ministry of reconciliation, the work of being ambassadors. And when you tell someone about Jesus, we should not approach the conversation like a salesperson who tries to convince others to do something they do not want to do. Rather, we tell them about a permanent citizenship in a kingdom that will never end, whose champion has defeated sin, death, evil, and even cancer. And we tell them about a permanent citizenship where every citizen, no matter where they are born, no matter what color they are, no matter what ethnicity they bring, is an adopted child of the king. There is so much in these verses when Paul tells us, our citizenship is in heaven. I love our land. I love our country. But I have news for you. As great as this country is, there are people from every nation in the world who are connected to Christ who will be part of the one eternal kingdom, and that's the citizenship that we should prize the most. And our citizenship here points toward those questions and points toward those hopes. Citizens of heaven live now as adopted family on assignment for a king who's coming back soon. Can you live with that? Can we carry that out? By His grace, we will. Let's close. Father God, thank You so much that the New Testament included this concept in peeling back the, some of the, the clouds of the future so that we can look into what is coming for us, that we are considered to be citizens of, of your kingdom of heaven even today, even now. A kingdom that is expanding on the earth as the influence of Jesus grows and a kingdom that will one day come with all authority and power and be revealed with all of its splendor to the entire world at one time. Help us to live, yes, as citizens of this great land, but even more as citizens of the kingdom of heaven that will last into eternity a kingdom that has relevance to every people group across this world at all times. And I pray that as we place our faith and our hopes in you, that that vision of serving Jesus today will continue to grow in each of our hearts and that you will be glorified. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.